We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. Welcome back. It's the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. Joined as always my co-host, Nick Pilato. Today we're here to do our final look at the week one game film. We know you want to bury it. We want to bury it too. It wasn't pretty. It wasn't pretty on offense. And to be quite frank with you, Nick, I was a little disappointed with the defensive film as well. I thought watching the game that the film was going to be a little bit better than it was. But I saw a lot of issues that I saw last season, specifically against counter and power gap run schemes where second level was out of place. There were some moments for sure. And there weren't any moments last year. So we can hang our hat on that. And we'll talk about some of the narratives that have surfaced from this game, specifically one about Kayvon Thibodeau. But, you know, I'll be honest, Nick, this wasn't the defensive performance I was hoping for or expecting when I read that the Cowboys were going to be without Tyler Smith at left guard and with a banged-up Tyron Smith at left tackle. I thought maybe, just maybe, the Giants' defensive line could dominate like the Cowboys' defensive line did, and that would be the deciding factor for the game in a win for the Giants. Total opposite happened. Dallas Cowboys' defensive line dominated. Giants defensive line, I don't know, man. It didn't look that great to me outside of, obviously, Dexter Lawrence, who had a pretty damn good It's interesting, Dan. Obviously, this defense was put into a wildly precarious situation when they found themselves down 16 nothing, and it wasn't really their fault other than the fact that they did surrender the one field goal. But I looked at the, the fitting of the counter because Dallas ran counter just as much as the New York Giants. I didn't think it was as bad as as you just portrayed, personally. The player that I saw you put up on Twitter was pretty bad. I was underwhelmed with a couple of players who were going to fit the run a little bit better and be a little bit more sturdy at the point of attack. Specifically, Sean Robinson, a little bit underwhelmed with him. Aziz Ojolari, just from a, a variety of different things I was a little underwhelmed with. That's not necessarily pertaining to just the power gap. But Bobby Okereke, too. Bobby Okereke was one player that, after watching this tape, he left a little bit to be desired to the point where I felt I felt like personally Micah McFadden had a better game than him. And that's kind of crazy to think about. The Giants were not perfect. You were right. There were a couple plays where they weren't exactly where they needed to be. We'll go over a few of those. But I, I did still see a difference in the counter run defense. I mean, there better be a difference because last year it was absolutely atrocious. Yeah, there was definitely a difference. Like there were some good moments, like I said, and last year there were no good moments. So I think that would be the difference. <laughs> but I just I think maybe it was just the underwhelming feeling I had with Okereke as well. But I think in the in the reality of the situation, Nick, we may have just put the expectations too high on a player like Bobby Okereke because look, he's not Fred Warner. None of those guys hit the free agent market. If he was that, the Colts would have never let him walk out that organization. He's a good piece. He's a piece you need, especially on a team that has nothing and no piece at linebacker. But I don't know if we can put it all on him. And I agree with you outside of that forced fumble he had, which is a really nice individual play by him. Yeah, I didn't really feel like he had that great of a game either. Um, and so it was not the best. Feel. I, I just I think I was expecting a little bit more again against this front for Dallas, how banged up they were. It just seems crazy to me. And this is something you mentioned in your notes, Nick, that I maybe want to point to first. And here and here's what we'll do, by the way. We're going to talk a little bit about the coverages the Giants use, the personnel the Giants use. Then we're going to get into some play breakdowns, kind of like we did for the offensive podcast. For those who are new to the show, that's the expectation. Keep hanging through. We're going to talk a little bit overall. Then we're going to break down specific plays of film. Um, and other than that, anything you guys want to know moving forward from film breakdowns, you can just reach out to Nick or I and tell us, and we can start to work that into the shows as well. But the point I was going to try to make, Nick, because this is something I saw in your notes, and I just find it so interesting. 
you talked about how the stunt game and the twist up front, it seems so easy for Dallas, right? But when the so, Giants run it, it doesn't look the same. And the Giants have Kayvon Thibodeau, Aziz Ojolari, Dexter Lawrence, and Leonard Williams on our defensive line. It should look the same to me. I mean, no, not the same, right? Micah Parsons is his own freak. He's not, Kayvon Thibodeau is not him. Aziz is not him. I get it. But the Giants have more talent, in my opinion, and better players at defensive tackle on the interior. And it just feels to me like, this is a coaching issue. If anything, I, I, I just find, I find it hard to understand how, you know, I've been watching this team for a long time, Nick, and it seems like we can't get the same kind of pressure with stunts and twists that a lot of other teams can get. Do you have any like feeling on why that's the case? I just felt like they were a step behind what Dallas was. And it's easy to be a step behind what Dallas was in terms of their twist game, because they were so crisp and so precise. It was right when the hammer went, the penetrator just looped around. It was like that the entire time, or right when the penetrator went, well, I should say the looper just looped right around. and was right in Daniel Jones's face. They were running ET. They were running TE. The giants tried linebacker tackle. So I guess LT, if you want to call it that Lawrence Taylor, shout out type of twists up front. And it just didn't seem like the Giants timing was as precise as let's say Dallas, like I said, but they seemed to tick slower. And there was the one play, which I believe we have in the, in the YouTube or the, the clips that we're going to be going over here for the YouTube audience. Bobby O'Karake like eliminated the center or the guard and it freed up Leonard Williams who looped around and hit Dak Prescott, but it didn't matter. Prescott still got rid of the football. I think a lot of that is attributable to Dak Prescott because he has a pretty quick release and he understands yeah. and senses pressure very well. And I'm not saying that's a slight Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones was under immense pressure relative to what Dak Prescott faced. But whenever the Giants did either win around the edge or create interior pressure through twists, Dak Prescott was like that getting rid of the football to where it needed to be. That's a great point, too. And that goes into one of the more underrated aspects of Dak Prescott as a quarterback. It's his mental process. He gets rid of the ball fast. Yes, he may put it in harm's way at times. And Dallas Cowboys fans are certainly feeling that way last season. But the reality of the situation is watching this tape. You can see a noticeable, you know, way that he gets rid of the football fast out of his hands. And that makes it really difficult on the big play to CD lamb on the first drive. I thought he did an excellent job processing where the safeties and linebackers were flipping his hips to the left and just getting that ball out of his hand, right to CD lamb. Obviously it was open, but it didn't matter. The fact that he was able to process that you don't always see that. And so that was an issue. I just feel like overall, I did want to get your thoughts on maybe if you were as disappointed as I was that the giants weren't able to take advantage of this banged up Dallas all over offensive line. But you know, it just feels like maybe they were a, a a tick too late, Nick. But before we get into some of the tape, let's go over some of the coverages and personnel the Giants use. In this game, the Giants, like they had last year, played a lot of sub packages. They were in nickel 49.1% of the time, according to True Media. They were in dime 25.5% of the time. They were in three down line look 12.7% of the time and a four down line look 10.9% of the time, according to True Media. From a coverage standpoint, the Giants had 55 plays on defense 1.8 percent of the plays they were in cover two according to true media 36.4 in cover three 9.1 in quarters 9.3 in cover six no bracket coverage on any player uh they played two man 1.8 percent of the time cover zero 7.3 percent of the time i mean this is that's only you're only going to see that 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 number like in the 10 7 to 10 percent range from like wink martindale and very few others uh and then they played cover one 20 percent of the time something uh and just for those who you know who are following along but don't exactly know cover one is when we talk about those single high middle of the field close safety looks that's what cover one is and they use with that man under, coverage with man it. coverage underneath yeah. right and that and otherwise it might be disguised as like cover three if they, if they don't have man coverage on behind it so yeah and that's that's what we got this game any thoughts on that before we get into some plays the Giants were trying to diversify their coverages and trick Dak Prescott, but it just didn't necessarily work. And in terms of the cover zero, that's right in line with the DNA and the philosophy of Wink Martindale. The Giants were also trying to drum up some pressure on Dak Prescott, but the football was just out. And there were some incomplete passes. It's not like Dak Prescott completed right. a high percentage of his throws. So the word time when the pressure was getting home on Dak Prescott, Dak Prescott would throw a ball high to Brandon Cooks in the flat or try to force something to Michael Gallup when he was blanketed by Deontay Banks. So there are some positive takeaways from the defense when you do consider how bad of a situation they were put into. I just think relative to the expectations that we have with the defense, especially with the Tyler Smith injury and the injuries along the offensive line, it's still a little bit of a letdown. 
Yeah, I think the overall performance might be a letdown, but we're going to get to some of the positives. We'll do it after the play breakdowns. We're going to discuss Deontay Banks. We're going to show all his coverage snaps and break him down. He's the silver lining of this game. He had a really good game for rookie corner, Nick. We talked all offseason about how hard it is for a rookie corner to acclimate himself to the NFL. We said, don't worry, guys. Week one might be really bad for him. And I was impressed that the game did not look too big for him. And I felt the same way with Trey Hawkins. I have some reps we'll talk about, but Trey Hawkins, that run support that we saw in the preseason that was impressive, it was there again in week one. He's going to be a physical player in run support. He's going to be a physical player on those underneath throws. I thought for both Hawkins and Banks, the game did not look too big. They had really good games for rookie, and that's the focus for the positives from this film. And we'll talk a little bit more about that as we go, Nick. We're also going to, after the film, dive into a few other things I just want to preview for the people right now. Um, we're going to discuss... This narrative that I that I've seen, you know, surface a little bit on Twitter that Kayvon Thibodeau is a bust. He had a bad game, zero pressure, zero sacks. We'll discuss why we feel a little bit different on that. We've talked a little about the new additions and how they fare. We'll talk a little bit more about players like Simmons, the two rookie corners. We'll talk about the run defense, where that's at. We'll talk a little bit about a few other things I thought that were just bad luck for the Giants. I felt like this was a bad field to be playing on. Obviously, the Cowboys were too, Nick. But did you notice how many times some Giants defenders just slipped on the field and it made a huge difference? I had one with a Dory that led to like a 15-yard dig route, a hurricane in the red zone on the Tony Pollard touchdown. Just interesting things from that standpoint. So Trey we'll Hawkins at the ones too. Yep, Trey Hawkins on one. So it just felt like the field wasn't great. And obviously, it's for both sides. But before we do any of that, let's get into some play breakdowns, Nick. So where do you want to start tonight? Yeah, Dan, I want to start with Deontay Banks' PBU. This is a smart play from Deontay Banks, who is tasked on Brandon Cooks. You can see him in outside leverage with his ass turned towards the sideline a little bit. And Dallas is going to try to get tricky and run Jake Ferguson on this seven type of route where it's basically just going to be a straight line towards the back pylon where number three, Brandon Cooks, is basically just there to hold Deontay Banks in place. And they're also going to leak Tony Pollard out there, kind of create a three-level read to that side where the rookie cornerback is. And I just love how disciplined Deontay Banks is with his eyes here to keep it towards the number two and the number three who are coming in his direction while also feeling out and expanding outward on Brandon Cooks because he has to worry about Brandon Cooks. Brandon Cooks is right in his face. Brandon Cooks is a very savvy veteran wide receiver, but you can see he has his eyes on the number three to the flat. He has his eyes after the number three to the flat goes back inside. He transitions right to the seven route. He transitions to Jake Ferguson. That's a pretty damn smart play. And then he reacts, comes off of it, and helps Xavier McKinney out to force this PBU. And I also want to say one more thing. I felt like Xavier McKinney in coverage, pretty damn good. I might have another play where, yeah, he had another one. It might have been against Jake Ferguson. So maybe we take that for what it's worth. But he was in position often when he was tasked in man coverage, which we saw against TJ Hawkinson in the playoffs last year. Very smart play, though, here by Deontay Banks. And it's a really good sign. This was my favorite play of the game by the Giants defense, uh, with the exception of maybe a couple Texter Lawrence pass rushes that were interesting too. But it's just a really good sign to see a rookie cornerback making a savvy heads up high IQ play like this in week one of his rookie season because you don't always see that. Most of the time you see the opposite. You see a mental lapse, you see a mental breakdown. This is really smart stuff. And I can't even remember too many times, Nick, and you could correct me last season where I saw too many Giants corners making plays like this, where they came off their coverage. There was obviously some examples and tried to help the other the other defender here. And I'm, I'm not so sure that if he doesn't get in the mix here, this isn't a touchdown. I think Xavier McKinney was going to do enough to knock this ball away, but you're right. It's, it's close enough. Just a savvy play from a rookie. And you love to see that. Also, this is a first and goal. Just interesting to see the Giants come out here with two linemen and then two edge rushers, one being Jihad War, the other one being Kayvon Thibodeau. It's one of Kayvon Thibodeau's bad rushes. You can see Kayvon Thibodeau attempts to go with a swipe. He kind of gets baited into it, it looks like. Looks like he's going to try to swipe down or go with the bull rush. Not really sure, but Tyron Smith takes advantage of him. Here's one of the bad reps from him. Even though he kind of gets pressure into the pocket, it's just kind of sloppy looking. One more thing, too, before we go to the next play. Some of the personnel packages that we saw against Dallas, because this was a run script for them, it was beefy, man. You had the one personnel yep. package where it was Lenny and Dex in a similar alignment here where you have Dex as the nose one shade with Lenny as a three technique. And then you had Boogie and Jihad Ward. That's going to be a package I think we're going to see through the weeks because that's a beefy run stopping type of unit. And I'll say this, Nick, just rolling it back a little for a second. Look, I get it. He gets there eventually, but you know, he's got a one-on-one -on -one situation against a backup left guard. I'd love to see a quick win here for Leonard Williams and a disruption of the throw. I just feel like we didn't get enough of that. I was 
out of all the players I was probably disappointed in the most on both sides of the ball, Leonard Williams is, is way up there on that list for me, Nick, just because of the matchup. You're facing a backup left guard. You're making $33 million against the cap this year. We need you, and you supposedly had a great offseason. We need him to be as dominant as, as Dexter Lawrence is in the right matchups. Like he's going to get a lot of these one-on-ones where the other opposing team uses two players to block Dexter Lawrence. That should be a good situation against a starting left guard. It should definitely be a good situation against a backup left guard. I don't know if I want to say I'm completely underwhelmed, but for the amount of money he's making, he has to be the most disappointing defensive player, right? Like if we're going to look game. at it for, yeah, from this game through that prism, we expect more. Like I want that 2020 Leonard Williams back. All right. giant fans do. And I'm just hoping that he's still there. He's still young. He's what? 29 years older, maybe 30 playing defensive line. So I'm hoping that the giants can unlock this. So here's a third and 12. And this is another thing I wanted to say about the giants defense, Dan, yeah. They were forcing Dallas into some some tough spots. So third and 12 because of that tackle for a loss by Jordan freaking Riley, the seventh round pick coming through with the tackle for a loss. Huge play. And then Dallas threw an incompletion on the next one because of the pressure. That's what Wink Martindale wants, Dan. Wink Martindale wants to get the defense into the second and long so he can bring Isaiah Simmons out there and he can bring in these big diamond, these quarter packages, and he can bring these creative blitzes. They find him in a third and 12. And this should have been a stop because this to me is a cheese dick type of PI. And the only reason it was called was a six round pick against a very savvy receiver who knew how to sell it. Yeah. And I think the ref from the angle he was at, Nick, when I watched this one back, it's just a tough spot almost for him because the way he sees it, it really does look like the corner. He just sees the back of Trey Hawkins here. It looks like he's almost like grabbing to turn him around. But when you watch that thing live and when you, when you see it from the other angle, it just doesn't really look to me like it should have been called. But you know, this is what's going to happen sometimes when you got a veteran against a rookie and the ref is in a tough position to make the call here. You're 100% right. And I'm telling you one thing, Sauce Gardner ain't getting called against that. Patrick True. Satan's not getting that. This is because it's a six-round pick and good job by Brandon Cooks also selling it. Sell I also it. thought, yeah, thought this was interesting because the Giants, they end up bringing some pressure here. So you have two guys who are dropping, but they're not taking necessarily deep half looks. When, you, when the Giants went up against CeeDee Lamb in the slot, the Giants would employ one of those safeties kind of in a robber technique, but basically just assuming inside leverage. So true media, this is kind of like a bracket coverage, right? right. True media said they didn't have, but this is a bracket coverage. I'm sure there were plenty of these. Well, there was a few of these when, when there was passing situations on third and long, which the Giants didn't find themselves in all too often. But you could see how you have a Dory Jackson who seems like gets caught off guard, Dan, a little bit by the snap. And then he just assumes trail technique right on the ass of CeeDee Lamb with this defensive player coming over the top and taking the inside. So now they have him bracketed. That confirms the Dak Prescott. I have a one-on-one -on -one matchup on the outside. He chose to try and take advantage of Trey Hawkins and ends up getting that call. But the Giants also dropped the other safety to a middle-of-the-field close type of look, even though I think that safety was also planning on taking CeeDee Lamb, it looked like, which is like, is that just a a miscommunication by the Giants because I doubt they were trying to allocate three because you can see them both kind of react right. towards C.D. Lamb at that moment. You see how much respect the Giants have on C.D. Lamb. And I also like the pass rush. This is actually to my point or our point about the slow nature of the twist. Watch Bobby Okereke bring the center inward and then just pick number 71, allowing Leonard Williams to loop around. Just a linebacker, defensive line twist. Dak Prescott gets hit. Still a catchable pass, maybe. I mean, it was in the vicinity of Brandon Cooks. I just felt like the coverage was really good, but it just doesn't seem too quick. And I know that Leonard Williams right. is a lot bigger than Micah Parsons, so you got to keep that in mind. But it does seem a little bit lumbering, and that's just a great play by Dak Prescott, too. Dak Prescott's trying to look off the safety. Watch, his eyes right now are on those middle-of-the-field safeties and seeing what CeeDee Lamb is up to, and he quickly just flashes and just gets rid of the football. That is such a quick release. you got to give respect where it's due. It is because he's got his eyes all the way to the middle of the field. And if he doesn't get that ball near the receiver, it's not going to be called defensive pass interference. So, you know, with a defender bearing down on him, no real place to, to square and set into, he makes a good throw there in my mind, at least to get that ball near the corner and they get a lucky call there, of course. Yeah. And now there's another third and two interesting play design by the New York giants where they essentially drop eight on a third and two, which is not necessarily something that you expect the giants to do, but giants are known pressure breaks pipes here. They're going to act as if they're sending cave on Thibodeau and cave on Thibodeau is going to sink underneath the three by two set. So you have three eligible receivers, including CD lamb to the field side, two in a stack on the other side. And the giants try to catch Dallas sleeping by sending cave on and then having cave on drop off underneath CD lamb. 
It's exactly what Wink Martindale wanted, but Kayvon Thibodeau doesn't get his head around quick enough, and Dak just fires a bullet right into CeeDee Lamb's chest for a first down. But another third and two situation where the Giants defense had a creative call, an interesting call, one that may have caught the Cowboys off guard, but it just didn't work out for them. And this is the type of play, Nick, and situation where I think when they face the you know, I, I don't know who else is on their schedule, but like the last year they played like Baker Mayfield and quarterbacks like that. When they face those kind of quarterbacks, even like the Sam Howells of the world, this isn't going to go for a completion. This requires a really, really tight window, great throw, great timing from the quarterback to the receiver. And that's just not going to happen. So I think we'll see this type of play come back around against some of those bad quarterback or not. I don't want to say bad quarterback, inexperienced quarterbacks uh, later the season. And, and on those plays, I think it will work in the Giants favor. And you can see what the Giants are trying to do here, anticipating two inside breaking routes, quick game, which we know Mike McCarthy is used to running a West Coast styled offense. The cornerback at the top of the screen is an outside leverage, basically saying, hey, look, you have an inside release to CD Lamb, throw the football and the Giants try to bait it by having that K KT do that and then sink right underneath with Bobby O'Karake also flowing towards out or flowing outside to undercut the tight end and CD Lamb. That's exactly what the Giants wanted. They just didn't execute it. Yeah. And again, kudos to Dak Prescott and CD Lamb there. They're on the same page. The timing is great and the throw is great. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's going on, Big Blue Banter listeners? I'm excited for the football season for several reasons. And one of those reasons is Prize Picks, which is North America's largest independently owned daily fantasy sports platform. And it's so simple to use. Instead of battling thousands of other players, including professionals, sharks, and people who are going to exploit you, you pick more than or less than on two to six player stat projections, and you just watch the winnings roll in. It's very simple to play and gives you a little extra skin. I've set my picks in less than 60 seconds. There are so many stats to choose from, and the withdrawals of funds are easy and quick. Dan and I will be adding a segment to our show before every game where we pick our favorite stats, more or less, yards or touchdowns, what have you, and we'll be discussing why from a scheme, matchup, and game theory perspective. I love their promotions and how easy their interface is to operate at prize picks. I may select more on tackles for a loss from Bobby Okereke or Kayvon Thibodeau next game. They also do other sports as well. It's a really cool experience. Please join Dan and I in the fun of prize picks. Go to prizepicks.com banter and use code banter for a first deposit match up to $100. Again, go to prizepicks.com banter and use code banter for a first deposit matchup to $100. You will not regret it. This is Dan Schneier, the Big Blue Banter Podcast. In case you didn't know, the show you're listening to right now is part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Blue Wire was founded in 2018 on the concept that independent podcasts would be more successful if they worked together. And now Blue Wire currently has 300 shows with athletes, celebrities, passionate fans like myself. I found Blue Wire right around the time when I started the Big Blue Banter podcast. When I started Big Blue Banter in 2018, I had an idea for a show, a name for a show, and then I had to figure out how to monetize that show and grow that show. That's when I found Blue Wire. Kevin Jones put everything on the line for this company, 
and then found us and this show a way to monetize the content with strategy sessions, provided us new segments, connect us with podcasters, and even gave us an opportunity to record in the Win Vegas studio. Blue Wire has now raised over $10 million privately to grow and operate the business, and they're raising another round right now on WeFunder to expand the sales team and improve the operations. WeFunder is a crowdfunding service that connects startups with investors. It gives everyone an opportunity to be a part of the growing startup. This is not a donation. You're investing to own a piece of Blue Wire. If you would like to be a part of the Blue Wire investment round or you want to find out more information, go to WeFunder.com slash Blue Wire. And remember, supporting Blue Wire is another way to support our show and this podcast. Nick, you ever been in the spot where you just felt like, I've got a few hours to go. I'm going to this game. I'm buying tickets. I don't have the tickets yet. You're stressing. The anxiety is at an all-time high. You're trying to figure out what the heck you can do to get to this game. That happened to me a few years ago when the Wisconsin Badgers made the Sweet 16 game in the Madison Square Garden. My dad, diehard Badgers fan, the reason I went to Wisconsin, the reason I am a Badgers fan, I needed to get him tickets for that game. It was his birthday. So I'm stressing. I don't know what to do. And then, boom, I figure it out. I use the Game Time app. The Game Time app is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all sports, music, comedy, and anything near you. They got killer deals, last minute tickets. You click open the app, and you're shocked to see that you can actually go to these games, having a good time, and not actually have to pay so much money that it breaks your bank account. Stanley Cup final week one this past season. I used the Game Time app last second. It was actually past the time of puck drop. Went on the app. I was in Vegas, saw the Vegas Golden Knights defeat the Florida Panthers. And I also used the Game Time app to buy my entire family when they came out here to Phoenix to visit me to see Tom Segura's special, which is actually the same special Netflix used for their videotapings. And I love it because you can find so much on the app. Like you get an actual image of the seat view, not like you're buying a seat with an obstructed view. It's an actual image. You know what you're getting. Lowest prices that I've seen by far, and that's their guarantee. You get an event cancellation protection, job loss protection. They go all out here to make sure that this is a great experience for the user. Snag the tickets without the stress with Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use the code BANTER. That's B-A-N-T-E-R for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem the code BANTER. B-A-N-T-E-R for $20 off. Download Game Time today. Before you get to this next play, Nick, I did want to ask you, I have it in my notes and we could bring it up at, uh, you know what? I'll, I'll save it for later. Cause it's, it's more of an overall question. So, so keep rolling. I just wanted to show Dexter Lawrence who oh, he had yeah. four pressures in this game and I get, he didn't sack, but Holy crap. Your guy, Tyler Biotis from Wisconsin had his yeah. hands full all game. Dexter Lawrence was bullying this poor dude and the giants just do such a great job getting Dexter Lawrence into one-on-one -on -one situations. It's what they do. They do it so well and they do it right here on a second and 10, another passing situation. The giants take Bobby O'Karake. They put him right in the a gap, which is going to force Tony Pollard to go to that a gap, giving Dexter Lawrence, that one-on-one -on -one matchup, since you have two wide rushers in Isaiah Simmons and Aziz Ojolari, who are both going to come. So you have a three-on-one or three-on-three -three scheduled over here with Bobby O'Karake dropping off, wasting blockers, wasting Tony Pollard, who isn't going to do anything in pass protection on this play. So if this guard panics and wants to help Tyler Biotish out and go after Dexter Lawrence, then you're going to have a 2v1 against Tyron Smith with Aziz Ojolari and and uh, Isaiah Simmons. So I just love the fact that the Giants consistently generate 1v1 matchups. And this goes as an incomplete pass, which sets up a third and 10 situation towards the end of the first half. So I just wanted to kind of highlight, A, I still, I trust Wink Martindale to put his personnel into the best positions. And B, Dexter Lawrence is a freaking beast. Let's not worry about him. Yeah, those types of simulated pressures and those types of situations where you have wasted blockers, they're going to really haunt, hopefully, the Cardinals this week because yeah. Josh Dobbs is just not the type of quarterback, in my opinion, who can process anywhere near as fast as Dak Prescott can process. I have no qualm. Like, as much as I said earlier, like I was disappointed by the film, it's more so just because I thought the Giants could take advantage of a banged up O-line. But next week, I think the Giants defense is going to be the stars of the show in, in a game where they should beat the Cardinals. And a simulated pressure, it's not just a term it, it, that Dan and I use flippantly. A simulated pressure is when a team sends only four rushers, which we see here, and one of them is a non-traditional rusher, being Isaiah Simmons on this play, and then the Giants drop 
Kayvon Thibodeau off the line of scrimmage into coverage, which they did, I think, four times. Kayvon Thibodeau was tasked to wall off any inside breaking route. You have this bunch. Kayvon Thibodeau's job is to wall him off. What I mean by wall off, it means don't allow him to get inside or disrupt his route within five yards of the line of scrimmage if they attempt to run a shallow drag, which is exactly what Dallas attempted to do. Kayvon kind of overplayed it a little bit, but then he gets his hands on that player, disrupts the route long enough to allow Dexter Lawrence to get home in the one on one matchup that was schemed up. So, see how everything kind of works together. This is a well-played second and 10 by New York. Yep. And they got out of that half without giving up any more points. And I wanted to just show the second and eight play by Micah McFadden as well. See, this is some of the stuff I was talking about before when, when I said that I felt like the Giants actually played power gap and, and counter a little bit better. Because right here, you have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight blockers for the Dallas Cowboys. They're in 13 personnel. They have two tight ends on the one side, double Y set. That's the play side. And Dallas had three tight ends on that side, a triple Y set, but they they motioned 87. I think that's Jake Ferguson over to the opposite side. And what did that do? That removed Xavier McKinney from that side. So Xavier McKinney now drops off. So you only have one, two, three, four, five, six players in the tackle box. The Giants are not in a good spot from a numbers and a mathematical advantage here. So what happens? The Cowboys come out, they run counter, they pull the backside guard, they pull that H back. It's just GH counter. Kayvon Thibodeau doesn't really keep it super narrow. And then you have Bobby Okereke, who in a lot of other situations, you might try to spill and kill here, but that's not what happens. Bobby Okereke sets on the outside shoulder of this tight end. And I just love this play by Micah McFadden to kind of overlap and then find his way as that backside linebacker away from any blockers, undercut the play and make that tackle. Now, Jake Ferguson did not have a good play here because there's two Giants blockers that he did not pick up. Dory Jackson and Micah McFadden both converge on four-yard gain still, solid gain for the offense. But this is pretty well played because the Giants were in a pretty damn bad spot. They did not have defenders. They did not have as many defenders as the Cowboys had blockers. And putting double Y set over there on the one side, damn, creates two extra gaps that you need to account for as a defense. Xavier McKinney rotated to the post safety towards that side. It's just, this could have been a lot worse, and I felt like Micah McFadden specifically and Adoree Jackson played this very well. Yeah, it's a great breakdown by you because the Cowboys had a seven on six advantage on that play. And even Jason Pinnock, who comes down into the box, is almost like taking himself out of the play because it's run counter and he goes you know, he gets too shallow immediately and take, and, you know, isn't able to make a play. So they were at a disadvantage and that is a really good breakdown by you of a good play by McFadden, a bright spot in this game, reason to get excited that McFadden maybe has taken a step in his, in his run defense. That's what we're all hoping. And then here I wanted to show the third and four. It's just a well-schemed play in the first quarter, big pass to CD lamb. Look, we always talk about man coverage. Giants know how to exploit man coverage with Mike Kafka. Other teams know how to exploit man coverage. And you can see how CeeDee Lamb is on the line of scrimmage against a Dory Jackson. And what is he going to do? He's just going to run the wheel around two pick routes and two legal pick routes. Didn't really have to do anything. And a Dory Jackson got tied up. I'm wondering if the Giants wanted to banjo this. And what I mean by banjo is if the number three is going to, after the routes distribute themselves, end up as the number one of the outside, that a Dory Jackson would pass off C.D. Lamb to the cornerback on the outside, which would be Trey Hawkins here. I'm wondering if that was something that the Giants wanted to happen, but you can see Trey Hawkins reacted to 87 going inside, but it would have made more sense for Trey Hawkins to latch on. I think that's Trey Hawkins. Right. It might be Jason Pinnock. I'm actually not sure. It's hard to see, but that could be Pinnock out there. Who was? Yeah, that is Jason Pinnock. I'm sorry. I'm sitting here throwing Trey Hawkins under the bus, but maybe that's, that's a huge mismatch that the Giants don't want, but when you're that tight in a bunch set, there's going to be rub routes and legal traffic, which Dallas did a good job generating here. And it put the giants into a spot where CD lamb had about what legit 15 yards of separation. Yeah, it was wide open. And this is a good example of a, of a really good job in my opinion, by Dak Prescott to process, because you could just see from his eyes on that play that he's looking right. He's confirming where the safeties and linebackers are, and he's flipping back to the left. And in a lot of ways, the pressure was there. The pressure got to him right before he made that throw. And it's in some ways similar to the play the Giants had on second and 18 or on third, the pick six the Giants had where Daniel Jones is looking right, flips back left and checks down to Barkley when there was a wide open receiver running down the sideline. And everyone says, how is he supposed to be able to know where that receiver is? Like, how is that on him? The pressure was coming. Well, on this play, the pressure was coming on Dak and Dak is well aware of where that open receiver CD lamb is. And so that's kind of the things Nick and I have discussed about, you know, just being able to process the field a little bit better post snap. Don't be as much 
go from point A to point B, start to have a little bit more of a natural instinct and feel for where these receivers are going to be open based on your film study. And 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 then we can lead to maybe better plays and bigger plays in the passing game. I don't know what, like, look, I like Daniel Jones, but I don't know why we sit here, Dan, as Giant fans and act as if other players, other quarterbacks haven't made throws under pressure before. We're making way too many excuses for Daniel Jones. And I'm not saying that this loss is all at the feet of Daniel Jones. If you listen to this podcast for a while, I've stuck up for Daniel Jones for years, but we have to criticize him when he deserves criticism. And the fact that people are not really getting that or not putting together the fact that the pressure sucked, I get it. He was under pressure. He was rattled. That can happen. And he can also make mistakes. Both those things can coexist. Football is a collective sport. Blame doesn't just lay at the feet of one player. Okay. So I just want to say that because this, this whole conversation and, and people on Twitter just going nuts whenever someone decides to add some criticism to Daniel Jones, it, it's, it's childish and it's, it's really, it's stupid and silly. It is. I, I unfortunately don't think it's going to get through to the people who are on that side of it because it's kind of it reminds me of politics in a lot of ways. Once you're dug in, you're dug in. But we just spent the whole podcast yesterday not putting blame on Jones. We discussed how bad the pressure was. We understand the pressure was a lot worse for Jones than Prescott. We understand the pressure rattled him in a lot of ways. But what we need to see a little bit more of is an understanding of where players are post snap and not so much. A to B, because what we saw at Duke, and I had a discussion with do a barrel roll, um, Jake Barrow. I don't know if you know him, Nick. He's he's a good film breakdown guy on the Giants on Twitter. And, you know, he just, he, you know, he, he, we talked about how like this is, there's still shades of what we saw at Duke, which is, you know, a very robotic way to play quarterback. You go from point A to point B, you see something pre-snap, you expect it to be there. If it's not there, you go to the next thing. But the thing is like on that play with Dak Prescott, I'm not so sure that wasn't him just naturally feeling out where just CD lamb is. And I see that with a lot of the best quarterbacks in NFL. We want Daniel Jones to be one of the best. He has all the physical traits. He's a great leader. He can scramble. He's smart. He works hard. He's smart in film study and on the, on the chalkboard, but there is that extra element. That is that extra layer of yeah. you can be very book smart. You can be very smart in the film room, but when the bullets are flying, you need to naturally just have this instinct of where players are going to be post snap. It's what made Tom Brady, Tom Brady. It's what made Drew Brees, Drew Brees, Drew Brees was a six foot quarterback back without a big arm and with no mobility. How is he a hall of famer? The answer is he had a great awareness of where the coverage was going to be post snap, where the safeties rotated and where the open receivers were. It was natural. It was instinctual for Drew Brees. It made up for him being six foot. It made up for his lack of arm talent. It made up for no mobility. So these are just things that, you know, we need to see a little bit more of. We know this. And if you, and if you want any evidence of this, just watch how every defensive coordinator in the NFC East plays the giants offense. Jack Del Rio, Jonathan Gannon last year, and Dan Quinn. There's no respect for the Giants passing game. They do not respect the Giants passing game. It's, it's unfortunate, but if you go through the film, which we did last year, they did not respect the Giants to throw to the field side. The Giants need to start hitting some of those plays to the field side. And then Isaiah Hodgins, one that we brought up, I believe, was a field side throw. Yes. It's just it's just passes that the Giants don't make frequently. They they work the short side of the field a lot with quick half-field reads, quick passing concepts, and then that or the check down or, you know, they, they do have something with the deep digs and the intermediate passing right. attack but in terms of the field side horizontal, the, the opposing defenses aren't paying any mind towards the sideline. You have to make the opposing defenses cover that. And I didn't want to go and talk a lot about the offense here, but I do think it's important. Yeah. And, and I think it's a good example of where you see there, Zach, Jack Prescott was under pressure. And this is not something that's uncommon. If you watch NFL tape of quarterbacks making great throws down the field, a lot of the times there is pressure that comes down. Pressure is not the only reason why, you know, the reason why that like you just said how these defensive coordinators are playing the Giants in NFC East. I guarantee you, Nick, it's not them sitting in front of the, the chalkboard and talking to their players and being like, Look at the Giants right tackle. Look at the Giants right guard. Because of that, we won't play the field side. It's because they're not completing those throws. And in their mind, they feel that sometimes to hit those throws, it's on the quarterback to get rid of the football fast and have an understanding of where those throws are going to be. And it's not always just about the pressure. That's that's kind of the unfortunate reality of the situation. I know a lot of people can't process this. We hope that in doing breaking these plays down, you can get there so we can all have a more healthy discussion. We're not trying to criticize Daniel Jones. We understand the pressure was awful. We understand Gowinski had a horrible game. We understand Neil had a horrible game. We understand the Cowboys players didn't have horrible games. We also understand that there are plays like the one we just broke down where there was pressure on Dak Prescott and he still got rid of the football to the right spot down the field. And Dak Prescott is a much maligned quarterback too. 
That's a quarterback that a lot of people say sucks, which I think is ridiculous personally. He makes mistakes, but he's not a shitty quarterback, Dak Prescott. But back to the Giants defense, something that I saw a decent amount and Dallas had success with it. And this is to your point about a little bit of concern with the run defense. Dallas ran crack toss like two or three times against the Giants and it worked. And if... You remember the week three film review of the defense last year? Kellen Moore ran crack toss down the Giants' throats. And Mike McCarthy was like, it's the same defense. We're going to do it again. I was hoping that McCarthy wouldn't take that. Like, I was hoping he'd be so stubborn as a coach that he wouldn't be like, I can take some of what Kellen Moore did. But he's a smart guy and he's a, you know, a Super Bowl winning coach. He obviously understood that I can take a little bit from what we did last year. And that's going to be an issue all season, potentially. I feel like Dallas has run crack tosses against the Giants successfully for years. I remember Eli Apple getting steamrolled by Tyron Smith. So crack toss, for those who don't know, it's when you align in a condensed formation and the defense typically, I mean, they don't have to be, but they could be a man coverage, which means they're going to be more condensed. And then you just block the end man on the line of scrimmage, typically a 260, 280 pound guy. It could be with a wide receiver. He's going to crack down. He can down block on that end man on the line of scrimmage. And then the offense takes the play side tackle and kicks him into space. Now imagine being Eli Apple or any cornerback and you have Tyron Smith barreling down on you in space. It's not a great situation. <laughs> And it's something that the Cowboys block up really well to the front side. And it's something that the Giants, least in recent memory, they haven't fit it well. And they didn't fit it in this game. And that's a concern because that's a power gap concept. Yeah, it's another it's another power gap concept they've had trouble with. On the flip side, the Giants actually have had some big plays running it in on their offensive side of the ball. And I think we could have seen that in this game, too, if the Giants didn't go away from the run so fast because they fell behind so quickly. But yeah, this is something the Giants are going to have to figure out how to fit. They're going to have to. It may be a personnel issue, if I'm going to be honest, Nick. Um, It's hard to it's hard to really say, but it's something that will have to improve because, you know, if teams see this on tape, they're going to try to do it. Is that unless you're facing like a Vikings or Seahawks that just run all zone? I think that's where it's going to get interesting. And Isaiah Simmons only played. I think less than 20 snaps might've been 17, something like that. 19. There were a couple second and longs where they ran because Isaiah Simmons was out there and Wink Martindale wants Isaiah Simmons out there. I'm going to sit here and say Isaiah Simmons is not a good run defender. He's just not, he, he looks tentative. He looks hesitant. He doesn't look like he exactly knows what he's seeing or reading. He's excellent in those passing situations, but second and seven plus Isaiah Simmons was on the field by my calculation. The other offensive coordinators are going to notice that and they're going to be like, right. let's just get the third and two. Let's just get the third and one and then see if we could take a shot or do whatever the hell we want. And they're going to run at Isaiah Simmons. So that could be a problem that the Giants find themselves in if Isaiah Simmons doesn't figure it out. And honestly, in terms of the cerebral part of the game, I don't know how far along Isaiah Simmons is. To me, that's, the, judging that's by, it. Yep. Judging that's by his Arizona tape, it's not there. I think that's why he busted in the NFL, to be honest, that cerebral aspect. And I got to be honest with you, Nick, as long as we're on this, and I don't know if you had a play uh, queued up to show that to show that crack toss, but we can get that in a moment. Do you see the play at 11.05 in the second quarter, a third down situation, a third and eight? Um, it was the play where Ferguson dropped the, the pass. It would have been a first down for the Cowboys. Giants got a little lucky here in the second quarter, third and eight uh, down in the, down in the, on the Giants side. In the, the red zone, right? In the red zone. So on that play, Nick, I was honestly, I chalked it up as a pretty bad rep for Isaiah Simmons. He's in man coverage against uh, Jake Ferguson, and he loses that battle against Jake Ferguson. Jake Ferguson is not going to be the best tight end. Isaiah Simmons has to cover in man coverage, and I felt like there was going to be potentially an upgrade for the Giants with Simmons on these like big slot types on these big key third down situations. He lost that rep. Like he switched straight up, lost that rep. Ferguson created the separation. He dropped the pass. Okay. But that was a little disappointing. I had that rep circled from Simmons because I, I was expecting, you know, maybe he is going to still be that guy who can't help and run defense. And it is almost at sometimes a liability, like you mentioned. But at least he's going to be a guy that I can trust to win these one-on-one matchups in, as a pass rusher, but also as a big slot and coverage. That's kind of where I thought he could help the Giants and allow McKinney to do other things. Now I'm not so sure. It's a quick little stick route from Jake Ferguson. It's a three by one set with Jake Ferguson in line and Dallas releases the running back towards that side. So you have a, just a ton of defenders and in that area, because there's so many offensive players and it's man coverage with two high, but you could see how the two high is kind of really only one high. The, the play side safety towards CD lamb just went with CD lamb the entire time. Again, like a lot of attention was paid to CD lamb rightfully. So, but Jake Ferguson just kind of pushes off 
Isaiah Simmons, it looks like, and creates about two or three yards of separation on a quick little stick route. You're right, man. Uh, that could have been uh, a push-up. You can't really see if, if the arm is extended. I, you can't see it on really either either tape, but it does look like Jake Ferguson does a really good job. Like we always say, when you want to create separation as a receiver, you don't extend your arm. You lean into the contact. You right. lean into that defender, and then when you go to break, you just flipper him. You just give him basically an elbow. You elbow him in the chest and then you subtly push off and you create that separation. That's what I think happened there. I'm hoping that Jake Ferguson isn't creating ample separation against Isaiah Simmons. That would be pretty terrible, but I think it was just good route running by Jake Ferguson to create that separation against a defender who isn't necessarily the most reactive. That's fair. And maybe that maybe it was that kind of situation. And I can take a little off Simmons plate there. I just expected that to be a matchup. He would win on a key third down situation. Oh, I agree. Trust me. I, I 100% agree. It should have been a catch. Jake Ferguson's interesting because he's getting a lot of red zone looks. He, he's going to yeah. be involved in this offense. We've talked a lot about how the Dallas Cowboys, they love using their tight end, but he didn't really look that great. <laughs> no, he did not. And that's obviously a Wisconsin player, but I still have to admit that to be the truth. <laughs> Yeah, man, I know it's hard for you. It's difficult. Tyler Biotis didn't look that great either, but, you know, who looks good against Dexter Lawrence? True. All right, do we have any other plays we want to touch on before we get into some narratives and, and talk a little bit about Deontay Banks? I have no more clips of plays, but maybe okay. I can run I can run some Micah McFadden plays and we could just talk, or maybe I'll run some Deontay Banks coverage ones and we could just talk. So let's, let's get, get into, into that. Yeah, let's get into Banks first. And there's some other stuff I want to talk about outside the film, too, that I want to get your takes on, which we'll get to at the end. But let's run Banks because Banks was the bright spot in this game. Banks had a we, we discussed it a little bit earlier. Banks had a really, really good game for a week one rookie player. And I thought his coverage was sticky. I thought he showed some savviness at times. And I thought there was one really, really good rep of coverage against Brandon Cooks. I think we're going to see in this as well. So let's start running through it, Nick. Um, here it is. Yeah, no, we, we just have Deontay Banks. We're not going to break the plays down necessarily, yeah. but you could see him circled. You could see what's going on. We just went over this play, but Deontay Banks to me was in position a lot. It wasn't even as if he wasn't perfect. You'll see here, some of his punches were imprecise. That one was one of the better punches that he had, but his recovery speed is something that I love. He can take yes. risks because of his natural athletic ability. And it's one of the things we loved about him when he was at Illinois. He could take those risks. He can jam. And if he misses the jam, I trust his ability to flip his hips, quickly accelerate and find the near hip and get back into phase, which happened on one play. The, the um, If I'm going to throw cold water on it, though, I felt like he was aligned a lot against Michael Gallup, who to me is just about as jag of a jag that you can have in the NFL. There's really no explosiveness yeah. since that injury. So he didn't get a lot of reps against CD lamb. That was a Dory yeah. Jackson's assignment. So you can maybe argue there's, you know, he wasn't challenged yet, but just watching off eye test, he's in phase a lot. And I'm really liking what I'm seeing. I love how he operates and uses the sidelines to his advantage as well. He did a couple times against Michael Gallup where Gallup released outside, tried to accelerate. And then Deontay Banks just rode him right off into the sidelines. That's exactly what I want. And I love this hit by Trey Hawkins, the third, yes. too. Just a suplex. That kid, good one, brother. <laughs> but here's another play. This is one of the ones I was talking about. You can yes, see how yep. Deontay Banks, and I'm sorry for the podcast listeners right now, but you can see how Deontay Banks is – it's beat a little bit at the line. Like he right. goes to jam and you get like his hips are completely open and Michael Gallup is accelerating over the top and just watch how he just gets right to the hip and just closes it down. It's just very quick, very good recovery speed from the rookie. This is the one rep that I really like too, because it felt like those past two reps, he got a little bit beat and then had that recovery speed. I had in my notes, really good signs of showing, translating the recovery speed to the NFL level in phase, majority of the reps. They also put in there, there if, I don't know if you noticed, but there were a couple reps where he was like messing with his face mask just before the snap and it got him a little bit off guard. It caught him a little bit off guard. He was a little bit late and he still was able to stay in phase on those reps, which I thought was just funny and impressive. And I'm sure that's going to, you know, get fixed. Whatever he had going with his face mask and his helmet is going to not play him. I'm sure the Giants looked at him and were like, we, we can't have you like fiddling with your face mask just before the snap. But again, this is overall, a lamb too. Yes, against Lamb he on plays this against one. This Lamb opens to the outside, goes to jam. Lamb just quickly swipes it away and then just right back to the hip on the break, right on top. Like if that ball is out, CD Lamb might catch it. He's not going anywhere though. Right. Deontay Banks is right there. And if Dak Prescott isn't really crisp with his timing, that ball could get knocked away because Deontay Banks is putting himself in a position to do so. Exactly right. Overall, really strong game for the Giants rookie first round pick. One of the better, I would say this is one of the better performances from a Giants first round pick that I can remember in their debut. 
Um, just overall, when you just think of what a cornerback is has to do, I thought this was a great play to knock him out of bounds, despite kind of getting beat a little bit off the snap. Again, there. yeah, there's a little bit of a, this is against Gallup too. So you could see right. how goes to jam Gallup wins, but just get, get back in the phase. And then Dak tries to throw back shoulder and it's a good play by banks. To, the ball kind of also travels out of bounds to be fair, right. but it's a good play by banks to kind of throw him on the ground Side and not allow him yeah. to get his beaten downs. Yeah, for sure. Um, Let's dive into some other thoughts I had on this game and you had on this game, Nick. Uh, I'll start by saying Trey Hawkins. I mentioned this earlier. I thought he had a pretty good game. I thought he was physical and run support. I thought he was physical on a couple of his tackles. Did a good job of, I remember watching from that Lions preseason game, reacting to plays that were thrown underneath, even if they weren't to the man he was covering and wrapping up and making tackles on those plays. That was the good sign for me. I'll say this though, Nick, on the flip side, and I'll go by the rep that really stood out to me. Um, I think I have it somewhere, but now I looks, it looks like I, I may have put it in the other notes, but I am not certain, Nick, that this Adoree Jackson, the slot experiment is going to go as swimmingly as planned. There was a rep I can't find now in my notes, but it was against CD Lamb in the slot where Adoree was pressed up against him and tried to jam him at the line of scrimmage. Missed completely. Lamb, caught, Lamb created crazy amount of separation for a quick hitting route and was able to just convert that third and four. I don't know. I just felt like watching a Dory Jackson before his injury last season versus how he looked on film in this game. It looked a little bit like a different player to me. Uh, maybe that's just how it goes when the experiment is moving positions and trying something new for the first time in your, in, in your career. And I understand the giants don't really want to put like a Darnay Holmes on the field and Cordell Flott is injured. And maybe he was their original, you know, expectation to play the slot, but I don't know, man. I I almost wonder if at some point they should flip Adore Jackson back to the outside. I'll say one thing, Dan. Adore Jackson, this is his first time moving full time into the slot, and he had one of the toughest assignments, similar sure. to the excuses. And I think you can use the term excuses that we use for the Giants' offensive line, albeit we are really down on the Giants' offensive line. I don't think a lot of people are down on Adore Jackson, nor should they be. I'm willing to let this play out because what are the other options? I think Adore Jackson playing in the slot. If Trey Hawkins and Deontay Banks can be respectable on the outside, is your best option by far. Is this going to be Cordell Flott when he's healthy? No. Darnay Holmes, we know that experience. Is he capable? Sure. Is he a liability? I wouldn't say so, but is he good? No. Dory Jackson, I think, can be good. You don't want Deontay Banks, nor do you want Trey Hawkins in that situation either. So I'm willing to allow, allow us to ride and die here if those two rookies can hold up because they need to be on the football field. Yeah. And in order for them to be on the football field, Adoree Jackson's got to slide into the slot. And I think Adoree Jackson has the most potential of any other defender playing the slot. So that's kind of where I'm at. Is yeah, any that's, that's all fair, Nick. I, I have to say that I can't disagree with any of that. That's the highest ceiling still. Yeah, and he's going to lose, especially when he's going up against CD. Like, who's a better slot receiver than CD Lamb in terms of just explosiveness? Like, you can say Cooper Cup, who is injured right now. I get it. He's great at manipulating and finding space and, and all of that. But CD Lamb is explosive. He can be aligned anywhere. And you know, Dallas wants to use him in that manner, which they did. And he didn't even do that much, mainly because he didn't really have to do all that much. But uh, yeah, I didn't come away thinking that Dory Jackson is a is a big issue with the defense. Not a big issue. And I don't want to I don't want to to make it seem like that because that's not how I feel. I just feel like watching a Dory Jackson last year when he's on the outside, and he can play a little mm. bit off the ball on that boundary. He just looks so natural and smooth. The speed turns. And when, then when he's pressed up against CD lamb, like on that third and four, and he's trying to jam, it just doesn't look like, like what he's best at. And another thing I feel like, no, another thing I know Adore Jackson's mm -hmm. excellent at is using the sideline, right? Not even just in man coverage. Like we you don't were get to do that in the slot. Exactly. Yeah. Not even just like we, uh, we were just going over with Deontay Banks where you just squeeze him off the red line and use the sideline as an extra defender. But when you're in zone coverage and you're in that quarter turn and you're keeping your eyes on the release and pattern match of the number two or the number three to the flat, and you're just kind of executing a turn where you're moving depth to cut off the angle of the number one, if he does go vertical, there are plays like that all throughout a Dory Jackson's tape here with the New York Giants, where he was able to basically remove two threats from the quarterback on smash type of concepts. I think he's excellent in that right. role. And that's not something he's going to be able to do in the slot. Exactly. So it's more so it's less so me being concerned with him being a liability in the slot and more so looking at it. Like, are we maximizing the, the player's skill set and what they're best at? And I know, yeah. 
you know, the overall thing here might just be, well, maybe we're not maximizing a Dory, but we're maximizing the Giants pass defense because it's better to have those three on the field than having a Dory on the outside and Darnay in the slot, for example. And if that and I think that's what you're getting at as well. And I think that's probably right. So I just think it's a problem that or not even a problem, just something they'll deal with. By the way, just a, a quick thing where we don't we're not going to put this clip up, but those of you want to see the play one of the plays I was referencing from Trey Hawkins earlier, the third and eight uh, with 14, 23 in the second quarter. That was a play the Giants actually didn't let the Cowboys convert a third down on. And I thought it was a really good job by Trey Hawkins to quickly diagnose the underneath throw to Pollard and help Isaiah Simmons in run support on that one. So you can check that one out. Third and eight, 14, 23 uh, in the second quarter. The next thing I want to get to, Nick, uh, maybe the last thing we can talk about before we wrap up. There's a few more things. Maybe we can do some quick hits, some some rapid fire. But next thing I want to talk about is this narrative that's been circulating by some people on Twitter. I know some people haven't seen it, <laughs> or at least they told me in the replies. I seem to see a lot of it. Maybe I'm looking using the For You tab too much on Twitter. And yeah, I'm calling it Twitter. I refuse to call it X. I will never call it X. What, what are you going to do? What's anyone going to do about that? Nothing. So I'll just call it Twitter like it should be. But you know, that cave on there, uh, Thibodeau is a bust, right? He had no pressures. I mean, guys, can we use a little context here? The Cowboys barely ran any true pass sets in this game. I think Bobby uh, Skinner replied, or you might have replied, Nick, with like the amount of actual true pass sets the Cowboys used. And on the flip side, I thought this might have been cave on Thibodeau's best game and run defense of his entire career. Nick, and I don't remember every game from last year, so there could have been one that was slightly better last year, but it was definitely in the upper echelon of games. I, I know you're showing a rep here. I have a few reps in my notes that I loved. I thought the second and eight uh, with 1145 in the 12th quarter, I think this might actually be uh, in the second quarter. This might actually be the one where he gets penetration and forces the run back inside. Like There were just examples of him penetrating into the backfield to stop run or to, I should say, um, throw off run plays. And then also examples of him setting a strong edge, which I thought was something we didn't always see last season. So you may call him a bust because he didn't get a chance to rush the passer that much in this game. But I thought Kayvon Thibodeau took a really big step in run defense. And that's something I was looking to see this season. Yeah, he's fine. And I love how he outsmarts Tyron Smith on this one. Because watch him just jab that foot outside. He jabs that foot outside, acting as if he's going to set the edge. And that gets Tyron Smith the lean. At this moment, Tyron Smith's momentum is going forward into contact that he's expecting to be there. And then Kayvon Thibodeau just says, ole, and goes right inside. Mm -hmm. And that forces Tony Pollard to cut back into the A-gap, where Micah McFadden does a really good job filling. Yeah, Bobby Okereke getting pushed back a little bit, but he was there to basically protect Kayvon Thibodeau, who decided to go inside. And then Dexter Lawrence is Dexter Lawrence just collapses. Mike, and this is another good play by Micah McFadden. I just feel yeah. like the, uh, the tight ends were attempting of the Dallas were really attempting to eliminate McFadden. They were tasked to, to block him in this type of manner a lot. And they did not do a, that great of a job. And I know Jake Ferguson is a plus tight end blocker for, uh, for, for, um, from dating back to his time in college oh, yeah. when he was at Wisconsin. Everyone's a good blocker when you go through that Wisconsin program, but um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, a couple more quick hits for me, and then and we can get out of here, Nick, and I can I can throw it over to you. Uh, I like how you put this one in your notes. I had it in mind too. I like, man, that we had a Jordan Riley tackle for loss in this game. Jordan Riley was a player who stood out in the preseason, seventh round pick. The Giants told us right from draft day, we like him more than you like him. We don't care. We They admitted they didn't love his tape. They said they loved the traits, and they loved how those traits might translate to Andre Patterson, who obviously did a good job helping Dexter Lawrence break out last season. Well, the traits translated on this rep as Nick's throwing up on the screen because we got a tackle for loss. Oh, no. I'm sorry? Said throwing up. Yeah, not throwing up. Violently vomiting. Yeah, <laughs> onto the screen. And, you know, not many reps, but here he is with a great rep, by the way, against the player who Nick has obviously been very harsh about on this podcast so far today. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's not, not a good player. Than, he's not a great player, Tyler Biadish, but he's starting somehow still. And either way, though, Jordan Riley with a really nice rep here. I like to see it translate from, obviously, the preseason to the regular season. I wanted to cover that one a little bit and make sure we got there. I wanted to also say you brought it up a little bit earlier, but I did think McKinney had a nice game on film. Nothing crazy, but it was definitely a game that I was impressed with as well. Anyone else you want to touch on before we get out of here, Nick? I want to go over this play real quick because I just sure. love how Jordan Riley fires off the ball to contact the inside shoulder as Tyler Biotis is attempting to basically scoop him from the backside and he just throws Biotis off. And then watch how he keeps his hands low. 
Jordan Riley keeps his hands low and fires up, gets underneath Tyler Biotish, and then just separates. Just really bad rep by Biotish, but it seemed like he got taken off guard by the fact that Jordan Riley wasn't reading and he was attacking. He was penetrating. And then Kayvon Thibodeau. Kayvon Thibodeau sets this edge, and a lot of this is also helped out by Jordan Riley's penetration, but Kayvon Thibodeau is right there to help clean this play up. Micah McFadden did a solid job avoiding the guard who was attempting to climb up to the second level. So just an overall good play, but it was set up by a seventh round freaking rookie. Yeah. And uh, you asked any other takeaways or, or players that may have disappointed. I felt like McFadden, Kayvon, McKinney all looked good. Mc- Pinnock also looked solid. There was no nothing that I took away from Pinnock that I was like, oh, that was bad. Very physical player, similar to Trey Hawkins, who I felt like had a solid game. And then Dexter Lawrence, absolute beast. I was underwhelmed, and I said this a little earlier, but, but I will reiterate, I was underwhelmed with Bobby Okereke. And I was a little underwhelmed with Aziz Ojolari on a couple pass rushes. It seemed like Aziz Ojolari, who is a speed rusher, he's not a power rusher, kind of got manhandled by Tyron Smith and kind of got just stopped by Terrence Steele. There were a couple... Uh, reps I think I have in my notes where I was like, okay, solid play, but overall just a little underwhelmed from both the O's of the Giants defense. You covered it great. And I just want to throw Leonard Williams in there. I just expected a little more yeah. against a backup there, but we didn't get it. And obviously, you know, limited opportunities for the Giants pass rush. That's my main takeaway here. I just want to give you one more chance to though. You, you, you were debunking this cave on Thibodeau narrative, I assume as well, right? Yeah, no, I don't feel that way. Now, I think you can say he didn't necessarily fully live up to the top five potential last season. He had four sacks. Two of them were unblocked. The other two were possibly game-clinching type of sacks. And Well, the one was definitely against Lamar Jackson in Baltimore. But I think he gets a lot of pressure. I think he's a good run defender. I think he's a very smart player. I can understand people being a little frustrated that he's not having you know 10 sacks a season as a top five pick. I think that's a little bit unfair. He's also in a defense that's dropping him into coverage more than right. a lot of other defenses would. Handles a lot of different roles. I do not think he's a bust. No, I've tweeted about, I tweeted as much. And I think I mentioned X on Twitter. I'm trying to transition myself off of Twitter, wean myself off of Twitter. And I said X, but yeah, no, I'm not there. <laughs> Evan, right. I'm not even there with Evan Neal saying he's a bust. No, I think it's still yet. premature, but I'm worried. I am pretty damn worried about Evan Neal. I went through, if anybody wants, I did a film breakdown, a big blue view of him and Mark Lewinsky. That was by far his worst game of his entire career because we know that his worst game up till that point was week three of last season. Same this matchup. one was, yeah, same matchup. This one was a lot worse. It was a lot worse of a situation to find yourself in down by that much with the Giants coaching staff that was like, fuck it, we're just going to throw the football and try to establish a rhythm and put our players into harm's way. But yeah, now um, Evan Neal's is one that I'm, I'm a little worried about. Yeah, and we'll have to see what happens there because we need... We may need him to step up even more if Andrew Thomas is forced to miss time. We haven't had too many updates yet on the Thomas hamstring injury, but uh, according to Dan Duggan today, he's gathered a little bit of information and he thinks it's not going to be that serious of a long-term injury, but it could be like a weekly, you know, miss a few weeks type of injury. And obviously the Giants really can't afford any time missed with Andrew Thomas. And I'm just going to say it again. I really hope it's not, he's not missing extra time because they, dragged him back on that field at 26 nothing and 13 nothing and for those who respond to me the players want to play like the it's not their decision what are you talking Uh-oh. about like what is that to, what are, what is this backyard football it's not backyard football this is the NFL and decision makers have to put forward the future of the team more than a game where you're down 26 nothing or 33 nothing and the game is all all intents and purposes over so that argument holds zero weight for me and i just think they should have put the future of this season ahead of winning that game or at times as dable said we wanted to put something positive on the board right well, guess what? Daniel Jones took three extra hits trying to put something positive on the board. And in the long run, that po- that touchdown that they would have scored against the Dallas playing basically like pre not prevent defense, but soft defense would have meant absolutely nothing, in my opinion, toward week two. And this is, you know, I've discussed this in the past when it comes to playing your starters week 17 or week 18 when there's nothing on the line. You know how I feel about that. I stand by that. It doesn't carry over to the next season whatsoever. We've known that last year. The Giants had a great season out of nowhere. The year before, Joe Judge played hard into the end of the year. Giants had a bad season. So there's so much evidence that it doesn't carry over. The Eagles tanked in that one week and then you know, they're a great team now. So like, what, tell what Tom call that though, dude, I know it worked that one time against yeah. the Patriots, but that definitely was, worked that time. it definitely worked that time. But you know, there are some examples of it working for sure. Uh, there's probably more examples of it not working. And in none of those examples that we discussed, did we factor in the injury factor? And that that's what you're really worried about there. But anyway, I digress. Key takeaways from this, be excited about Deontay Banks. 
be excited about d- debunk that Kayvon Thibodeau narrative. And let's move on to week two, Nick, because it's a big game for the Giants. They are in a must-win situation. If they lose to the Cardinals, things are going to get really ugly around here pretty fast. You're going to be hearing somebody screaming because I'm more than likely going to be at that game. And I'm going to be uh, – I'll, I'll give information on the last podcast, the preview podcast for anybody who wants because I'll probably be going to a bar beforehand to watch the nice. 1 o'clock Eastern games. That's and cool. people can meet up. And I think it's a bar where like a lot of Giant fans – there's like an event there for Giant fans. So That's cool. New York, New York needs to come out. They need to, we need to win this football game. Uh, and and we'll I don't, more. I don't expect Andrew Thomas to play either because this is a short week, no matter uh, what. And so, they have San Francisco after it. And they have San Francisco after. And do you really want Josh Azuda going up against Nick Bosa? Like it's, I'm not a doctor. We don't know the severity of the injury. I'd be surprised if Andrew I Thomas agree. is out there with the information we have now. I would agree with that. I think Andrew Thomas will miss at least this game. Hopefully it's not more than that. We'll have to see. And more so for me, man, I hope it's just not a lingering injury. And I swear to God, Dan, if I have to see freaking Dennis Gardeck, a UDFA who's just like the overachiever of overachievers <laughs> in the NFL, like a guy that we would love if he was a New York Giant, if he beats Evan Neal for a freaking sack, I'm done. I'm done. I'm leaving the stadium. Yeah. Oh, God. Evan Neal, more than anyone, needs a good game. And we'll see. Maybe there will be some change at right guard. But we'll talk more about this throughout the week. We have a preview podcast coming up. Uh, Nick and I will bring on a guest and then we'll discuss our thoughts on the game after that. So more on that to come. Thanks for keeping it locked and loaded on Big Blue Banter. Please subscribe to this. Please like the page. Please like every video. Please download. You know what we want and just do it. It's free. It's easy. It takes a second or two. Um, And Other than that, have a great rest of your week and we'll talk to you soon. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.